Welcome to Season 2 of the Pines and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. This show understands that there is quite a bit of diversity amongst the body of Christ. So we operate according to the motto that certain things are fixed, like the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Pints and Perspectives, where Adam has convinced me to go out of order so that we can talk about the rapture theology now. But first... What it do, it's your boys drinking beer and the cap is blue. I'm still working on the tagline thing. Well, you keep changing it to new ones every week. I know. Comment below. What is Adam's tagline? You should ask your IG. Well, I will put, I will edit something and I'll put it out and you should ask your IG people. Do that work. Uh, Yeah, do that work. Also, we're in my house still. Still in Adam's house. Cool, cool. Yeah. So for anybody that wants to know, we record these in two episode batches. Uh, So vote below whose house is cooler, Cullen's or Adam's. Uh Oh, it's definitely Adam's. Oh, nice. (laughs) Mine's not a house. It's an apartment. (laughs) Hey, that's just as valid. Yeah, but you have a hot tub. That's true. Yeah, hot tub always wins. Next episode, we record in the hot tub. No, that's not a terrible idea. You know, that's not a terrible idea, you know, but that sounds... A little weird. That sounds like a great episode for... Hell, because we're cooking. No, that sounds like a great episode for, like, winter. Oh, definitely. It's, Um, It's too damn hot to get in a hot tub, even currently. Maybe we'll maybe we'll launch a creation series on in the from the hot tub. A creation series from the hot tub. I could do some shit about uh you know, I could tell a story water. about, you know, hot water springs. We could and, talk about the far, the firmament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do something with that. Cullen? Um what are we drinking today? We are drinking because today is technically the first episode that comes out in the month of October. Hello. So happy Oktoberfest, friends. Happy Oktoberfest, friends. Happy October. Happy um, fall. Happy autumn. Happy all the things. This is the Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Adam I like his Adam. last name. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> uh, first, yeah. name, first name Sam. Meh. Last name Adam. Perfection. You know who you are. (laughs) I can't with you. Read between the lines. I can't with you. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So this is the Sam Adams Oktoberfest. I think once again, we've probably both had this beer many, many times. Okay. Look, full disclosure. I don't know that I've had there. I've had a thousand Sam Adams, but like the Boston lager is a staple. Their cherry wheat was like my favorite beer for a long time. I don't even know if they they still make it. I know it's weird. Look, don't at me. (laughs) But I can't remember having this beer. I got to be honest with you. I don't know that I've tried this. Okay. Maybe, maybe I have. Okay. I know, well, um, it is a, a pretty standard Oktoberfest. It's one of the more common macro labeled yep. uh, Oktoberfest you'll find around by, by the six pack, by the 12 pack. Yep. Uh, they are in Boston. Oh, no. Yeah, Boston Mass. Yeah, Boston Mass. For sure. Um, uh, so, yeah. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, buddy. It's another bottle, and this time it's not twist off, so. Oh, that's good ASMR. Oh, hey. We got cap tops. Oh, yeah. Cheers. It says cheers. Oh, does it only say cheers? Wow. Okay, look. Here's the deal. So, y'all are hearing and watching this a week apart, but I we were just drinking Shinerbach Oktoberfest, so it's a, it's a solid side-by-side. Um, the malt is way lower on this it is not that sweet it is it is very um the hops come for more it's much more bitter 
Um, it's more balanced, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's what I mean by bitter. The bittering is balancing it. It is definitely less sweet than the Shiner one. You still have a nice earth tone. Well, it does say hearty and smooth. Oh, you're right. It is very smooth. There's no um, doubt about it. It is. Okay, so I mentioned this on the last episode yeah. about the Shiner malt. Like Samuel Adams beers all have the same kind of baseline flavor, too. And I can taste that that malt on there. Um, it is okay. Oh, we didn't rate the Shiners. Well, I rated the last one. Okay. I rated it somewhere in between 6.8 and 7. Yeah, so my rating for that one probably would have been a 6. Um, this, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, all of our Boston listeners love you. Um, I'm gonna give this a five. I'm, yeah, I'm I think it's, it's, it's my least favorite of the two. Um, it's going down for me. It's still good. I think I'm gonna put it in the like six, five range. It's kind of lacking some flavor though. It, it really does have like one prominent note that persists through the entire drink there's no complexity to it yeah it's no complexity Um, well said no complexity to it no development on it it is just one specific which is really like not as high of a lovabon malt flavor that i would want out of an oktoberfest that persists all the way through the thing um yeah i mean it's not it's not bad It, it, it it's a good it's a solid sipping beer for the season. I mean, I'm not mad about it, it, it but it is. Um, and we did buy a six pack, but I'm not <laughs> mad about it. Oh, we're not going to pour it down the drain. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Yeah, I think. It's okay. It's a good beer to talk about a crappy theology with. <laughs> Wonderful transition. Cullen, what are we talking about today? Rapture theology. Rapture theology. Do you want to you want to give the listeners a rundown on the history? I mean, I think you did that in the last episode. Something about a 12-year-old girl seeing a vision. Maybe she was on psychedelics. Do you remember any more details than I did? Not 100%. Okay, we should have prepared so better. What the story is or as legend goes. As legend goes. Dwight L. Moody is a very famous turn-of-the-century preacher, preacher, Baptist preacher. Yeah, He's in Scotland on this revival tour. Because okay. remember, this is the age of revivals. We don't have a lot of technology. People are traveling around doing the tent revivals. Dwight L. Moody makes way for Billy Graham. Like, There's lots of development that happens in this moving-around revival scene that's happening at the turn of the century. You got Azusa Street happening in California. 1902. In the, in, yeah, 1902. You get third-wave Pentecostals happening in 06 to, you know... 1910 then you get you know first wave feminism happening and there's lots of shit going on and these revivals are kind of you know trying to keep a lid on it they're trying to contain things and they're spreading like wildfire with their emotional manipulation as they come through these little farm towns wait 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 but what about john nelson darby that's the name that i had in my head so john nelson darby is actually the first guy that like actually thinks this up i think in like well, the late 1890s yes so he thinks it up and he's an English guy, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so he's an English guy, and he's around thinking this up. And then Dwight L. Moody ends up in Scotland. So Darby kind of starts to spread this message that, hey, maybe there's another way to think about uh, like afterlife and tribulation and the, the Armageddon, like the war, uh, interpreting yes. Revelation. 
And so uh, Dwight L. Moody ends up in this um, revival at this church in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And it's in 1906, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, Do not quote me on that date, please. Or do not hold me to that date. But I think it's in 1906. And there's a little girl, as the legend goes, that in this in the middle of this revival has this like experiential moment where she like falls slain in the spirit and Mm. she has this vision and it is in its most basic form. It is a vision of Jesus or a a Jesus like figure Mm -hmm. coming down and taking all of or taking some humans up and taking them away and leaving a bunch here and the world goes to tribulation. Right. Dwight L. Moody is in the audience. Okay. D.L. Moody is in the audience. And he comes back on this spiritual, like emotional high. Oh, last day of youth camp high. Yeah. And it just so happens that he's a preacher and a writer. Mm-hmm. And so he takes that little girl's experience, that little girl's message that Jesus was trying to give her. Mm-hmm. He takes it and monetizes it and popularizes it in America. This is why when I had dinner with Tom, right? <laughs> one of the things that he said that I thought was so savage was somebody asked him about the rapture or, you know, the end times or whatever. And his response was, And I think he's given this response more than once. I think I've heard this story told more than once. Um, His response was, I only get this question asked in America. Yeah, it is. It is like a very uniquely. Well, it's an evangelical thing, man. Nobody else believes this. Well, there are evangelicals in England, in the UK that do still hold on to it. And because of colonizing missions uh, to the African continent, there are some African traditions that definitely still hold on to this, but it is for sure the predominance is here in American evangelicalism. Yes. So Dwight L. Moody comes back to America, begins popularizing this, traveling around, speaking in the tent revival circus. And it's totally a creation of the 20th century. Like it is a 19, oh, early 1900s. Nobody, nobody before. Yeah. The 19th century was ever dreaming this up, and it got popularized in the 20th century. Right. Uh, you want to talk about faithful Christians believing shit for thousands of years? The rapture Hell no. Rapture ain't one of them. Hell no. Not yeah. even close. Right. Um, so that's rapture theology. They proof text it to, uh, let me grab my Bible. Well, okay, but hold on. Let's put it in the con- eschatological. They proof text it to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, yes. Okay, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I guess we're, we'll read the Bible. While he's uh, finding First Thessalonians, he's got to look it up in the index in the front of the book first. Um, nah, bro, I, I, got, just, I got three degrees in this. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to the index. Man, you must, you must be so cold um, with all those degrees. Um, or hot. I don't know how it goes. I just want to point out since we're at my house that the chair that Cullen is sitting in has been stained by, it is officially my chair marked by law. It is mine. (laughs) By law. (laughs) So he got this tattoo on his arm and he came over to my house and he sat in this white chair. Yeah. This, yeah. And apparently the ink from a tattoo will just like seep out of your skin for a while. It it was like white chair. Yeah, I had gotten it like four days before, 
and you were still leaking blue ink. Well, I was still healing. I was still healing. And yes, when I sat down in the chair, I saw my stain marks right here, unfortunately. I thought the kid had eaten a donut there. Just Cullen. All right. First Thessalonians. What now? Just Cullen being extra as fuck. Uh, Here we go. First Thessalonians 4. Um, It starts in verse 13, but Uh, the main one is in 16. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. So first things first, let's just, so parousia, which is what we were talking about last time. So Jesus has to return. He has to come back. Yep. That is, that is a new Testament claim. Right, right, right. So he shows up, he shows up. And I mean, we think at the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, uh, and when he is returning, the dead in Christ will rise first. What the hell does that mean? They're going to like lift up out of their graves? No. How will they rise? Where are they coming from? Where are they? Wherever Sheol, wherever the holding place is, wherever so, everybody's soul sleeping at. So I guess it's here on earth because Jesus had to come back here to lift them up. So if you he, yeah, Sheol is like the like the core of the earth. Okay. So like if you yeah, you could say that and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's a bunch of like zombies that are floating in the sky and to meet Jesus on his horse. He takes them into Well, you also got to remember 1 Thessalonians is what? Uh, who, who wrote letter? it when? Paul, is it a Pauline? I don't it know. It is a Pauline so letter. Debate, no, it is definitely a Pauline letter. There's okay. no debate about First Thessalonians. Okay. And it is like nobody's debating that it's Paul's first letter. Okay. To a group of Christians in a Thessalonica. In a Greek town called Thessalonica. Correct. Um, Which I've been And there. it's also, if you've ever read it, it's highly, highly apocalyptic. It's very, yeah, it's, yeah. Highly apocalyptic. Because don't you think, like, there was this, they they were wonder where the heck is Jesus? He ascended into heaven, and he ain't come back yet. Right. And so we are anxious about it, which is what he said. I don't want you to be informed. I don't want you to be anxious about this. Because what's happening there is this group of Christ devotees, Jesus devotees, is gathering, and they think Jesus' return is imminent. But unfortunately, it ain't. And they're dying off because, you know, people die. And they're like, oh, no, if you die before Jesus returns, maybe you don't go to heaven. So they start wanting to be martyrs. So they work up a theology, or Paul writes them a letter and says, hey, hey, don't worry about it. It's cool if Thaddeus dies because we'll bury him. And when Jesus does eventually return, Thaddeus will go first. And if you're still here and you're not dead, then you're going to get caught up in the sky too. Yep. 
And what does that mean? Do I start like, uh, I mean, it's almost Halloween. Do I float around? Do I like levitate? Nope. Do I lose my clothing? Nope. Does my clothing go with me into heaven? Nope. Am I a naked nude body flying through the mid sky? Nope. nope. So it's just like in left behind, I just disappear. And if I'm a pilot on a plane, it crashes into the earth because I just disappeared. It's not like any of those things. In a twinkling of an eye? It's not like any of those things. Okay. Sorry, Kirk Cameron. You're wrong. Yeah. Pastor Cullen, school um, us. I think what you have is I think you have a church leader who is trying to calm a lot of anxieties amongst his people. <sighs> yeah. Join and the club, bro. I think um, he has some truths that he's communicating which is the truth that Jesus will return. I think, I'm dubious on I, that claim. Well, you can be dubious. I'm not. Um, I don't know when that will happen. That's not for me to decide. Apparently neither did Paul. Uh, it's true. Paul thought it would be in his lifetime because he all? believed the words of Jesus. You think, you think he's coming back in your lifetime? Hell no. Everybody has thought God was coming back in their lifetime. Maybe he I'm going is. to say no and hope that I'm right. Okay. And, or, you know, I could also hope that I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, but no one knows. For me, what I think is happening is I think Paul is communicating to the best of his ability within his own limitations what God is going to do. Sure. Oh, but so I don't think, but I don't think us 2,000 years later have to hold Paul to his literal word. But it wasn't a divinely inspired. Sure, in the same way my sermons are. <laughs> he thinks his sermons are divinely inspired. Um, I'm kidding. Of course he is. Wellhouse Church, we love you. Now, I think scripture is authoritative in a way that the tr the Christian tradition throughout time has said yes, yes, and yes again. Sure. That it is the story and revelation of God's work throughout history. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel you. But the other thing I want to say about this before I close the Bible, because this is a theology podcast, and what do you do on theology <laughs> podcasts? You read books about what other people said about the Bible. Oh you don't God. read the Bible. Uh, but before, I do want to make a comment about this. We were, we were noting that this is a made-up theology in the 19th and 20th century. Yep. Verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Caught up. What's, where's in the Greek? clouds. Where's your Greek? I don't have it with me. I have one. It's this is the problem that we're at your house. Um, I have a Greek Bible in this house. When's probably the last two. time you cracked it? It has been a minute. Okay. <laughs> if you want to, go get it while I do this. But that word, the reason that we call it rapture theology is because that word, unfortunately, is not parousia. Um, oh. That word is a different word, but where rapture theology came from is because at the time this theology came to be, we had the King James Bible. Oh. Which, where did the King James Bible get its translations from? Yeah, dude the named Latin James? Vulgate. Yeah, right, 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 right. And the Latin Vulgate Was took the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, yes. translated both of them into Latin, right. and then the English King James Version is translated from, from the, the Latin. Latin. So D.L. Moody, only being trained in Latin, oh. goes back to the Latin, and that word is raptura, which means to be snatched. Snatched. So to be caught up is to be snatched. Is to get body Latin, snatched by Jesus. And hence you have rapture theology. I'm going to snatch you up. That is how this entire thing came to be. Well then, okay, before we dive deeper into that, how, what, how do you, 
this is a theology podcast, not a hermeneutics podcast. Good God, Cullen. I drink um, a lot of liquids. That's why I have my I drink water a lot back of liquids. here. Um, how, so how would you interpret the, this text? I mean, what do you think it's talking about? If it's Perusia. Okay, so this is about the literal return of Jesus. Which is the inauguration of resurrection. So what does he mean? What does the Apostle Paul mean when he says that we're going to get snatched up in the air? I think, well, he says caught. Okay, sure. He said, go get your Greek Bible. Okay. We will pause. Pause. Snip, snap, your boy's right back. Snip, snap, your boy's right back. It's your boy Adam Cheney, two pods and one P. No, one P. Okay, Adam does not have a reader's. I don't have a reader's. I do. I couldn't find it, but that's my Novum New Testament. Unfortunately, well, I looked through Adam's bookshelf the other day because I was going to buy some of those books. I am going to buy some of those books. Um, And I did see a reader's version. So had I went in there, I could have found it. Well, I found my reader's Hebrew, but anyways. um, So you're going to get to test my Greek now. But the word, uh, hopefully he'll edit out this dead silence. I will. Uh, and to to the one, you know who you are. They commented about the lazy editing. Uh, you ain't wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> it is. It is lazy editing, and the reason it's lazy editing is because I do four of these every week, and. I have a sermon, which, wow, triggering word. God, I always say that word. It's so triggering to me. Boy, just read the and Greek. And I say it. Um, your story. Your my na- story. Your narrative. You. My story. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with him in the clouds together. We'll be caught up. Um, we who are alive, together with them, will be caught up. Body snatched. In the clouds of the Lord. Yeah. Um, this is a compound word. It is definitely not a common one. Um, I will have to do, I can't do it without a reader's version to know Sorry. what the root is. Um, because this is also a my side tie verb. Um, my side tie. So yes, I will have to do some work on it, but it is definitely not a word that I recognize, which means that it occurs less than 22 times in the Greek New Testament, because that is where I'm at in memorizing all the words of the Greek wow, New Testament. Wow, um, we are blessed. So, yes, um, it is that word, what I think Paul is communicating is that there will be a sudden moment. That it will happen in a swift, fast, that it will be like a military tactic. Because remember, I do think God is fighting a war. I think God happened on some chaos and tried to order it. And I think God is fighting a war. Um, And so I think there are strategic elements of that war that God is fighting that take some time to play out. Okay. And so I think that that will be one of the premier moments that God is building towards and God will quickly and swiftly come in and swoop and make this transition where he is coming down for his victorious claim from battle. And we are in a quick moment brought and rushing out to meet him and usher him in as he is restoring the created order. I have so many questions, but we'll stick with the rapture for the moment. So 
there are multiple views of the rapture, even within those who ascribe to rapture. Pre-trib, post-trib, and mid-trib. Right. So So that is, but see, this is the other thing. I need you to understand. None of these constructs come from the Bible. All of these come from Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. (laughs) Tell us more. All of these come from left behind because all of this is made up philosophical theology. Uh huh. All yes. of this is just shit that educated white people are making up. Well, except for the post trip view, right? So, well, if you do post trip, then it's it's no rapture at all because then it's just parousia, which is what you're saying. Your interpretation of the text is, but only if you believe in all millennialism, because that would mean the trib is right now. Explain yourself. I know what you mean. What do you mean by an all millennialism? So, okay. so millennialism is a whole other topic that has to be taken. Go ahead. In. Okay. So, so I need a break. I need a hot man. <laughs> there, there, there is, there is, uh, there is this reference. I don't know the, I don't know the scripture reference, Cullen, but there is this reference in revelation. Is it in revelation or is it a to the millennium? Yeah. Okay. The, uh, the, the thousand mil- year, the thousand year reign of Jesus, right? The millennial reign of Jesus. So there are off. There are also different eschatological perspectives on when that thousand year reign occurs. Um, so there's like um, amillennialism. Pre, what are they? I'm amillennialism, premillennialism, which is the most well, common. You'll find that a lot in dispensationalist communities, right? Um, and which, then you have um, postmillennialism. And amillennialism is the current, like we are currently in the millennial reign. Yeah, so what amillennialism is, is amillennialism says that Revelation, the book, was written to a group of first century churches. Right. And what they were battling with was in AD 70, Nero destroyed their fucking temple. Right, right, right. And also, he has some very strategic, um, in ancient Hebrew numerology, the letters Nero in what? the Hebrew alphabet connect to the letter 666. Okay, which I didn't, go, I didn't yes. know that. All right, all right. So millennialism <laughs> has a lot of these like easy trigger points for you. Okay. It also has the very fact that in chapters three and four or four and five, I can't remember, it is literally dedicated to seven churches in ancient, like in the ancient world, in the first century world. Yeah. Um, context is everything. Yeah. So, so you, you, you dropped another term there that I think is important. Dispensational. So, Oh, well, hang on. Okay. Let me answer this question. <laughs> We're doing first. a lot. Yeah. Let me answer this question first. So all millennialism is the belief that revelation was written to a very specific group yeah. of seven churches in the ancient world, the right. first century, and that they were being given a prophecy. Okay. That prophecy is that at the destruction of their temple, the second destruction in AD 70 at the hands of the Roman empire and Nero, that that marks the beginning of the tribulation in which empire has taken over kingdom of God. Got it. If you're going to c- carry new Testament language, got it. Empire is taking over kingdom of God and post-trib rapture is parousia. It is when God is coming back in victory over empire of death, which is, you know, personalized in Roman empire. Right, right, right. Now, dispensationalism. So dispensationalism is also a... Well, dispensationalism is a 19th century creation of white people. Right. That believe that God interacts with humanity in set dispensations that God, of grace. Well, that that God's grace has been administered in, in certain dispensations. That let me rephrase. 
God's grace has been administered in certain ways in specific dispensations throughout time. Uh, the garden. Moses. The garden is the first dispensation. Noah, Noah. would be the second Noah, one. Noah, then Moses. Well, with, with the law. The law. Well, but then you would have Abraham. Oh, shoot. Dang. Yes. Yeah. It's been a minute. Sorry. And then you would have Moses. Then you had Moses. Sorry. And then there is... Um, the judges. The judges. The kingship. The kings. And then the there... The prophets. Prophets. And Jesus. And then Pentecost. Well, the church. The church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. so then... So the last one is the... It's dis- where the church. <clears throat> right. Where we live now. So... But dispensationalism is also an extremely popular evangelical theological framework. White. That Evangel- was white, yeah, evangelical. white evangelical framework that uh, was a late construction, nineteenth uh, century. But it is it is uniquely connected to premillennialism and pre uh, pre tribulation rapture. Rapture. Well, it's they because all go together. Dwight L. Moody actually, if you're going to do church history, which okay, yeah, I'm a nerd. I uh, yeah, we're all nerds I, here. No, yeah. Fast forward. Dwight L. Moody is like if you were going to place. Like top five fathers of dispensationalism. Okay, yeah. Dwight L. Moody is undoubtedly in that conversation. Right. You can't really trace dispensationalism to like one guy. If you were gonna, you would probably do it to um, fuck. I forget his name. I, I know. Criswell, the guy Criswell. that the guy that created Criswell College in Dallas, Calvin Criswell. Isn't no, that his name? No. Um. Shit, man! If our professors watch this, they're gonna, I know they're gonna fire us. I can't remember his name. Uh, Criswell College is in uh, around Dallas. It's named after a guy. It's founded by that guy. His name, his last name is Criswell. Um, he's like, if you were gonna try to pinpoint a person, he's like the father of dispensationalism dwight l moody is there it's now most predominantly embodied by a guy named daryl bach and um oh shit um daniel wallace daniel wallace Um, if you're looking for an institution anyone that does their graduate degree or their phd from dallas theological seminary right dts is the premier dispensationalist view um, like worldview seminary. So you can get all of your stuff from there. But dispensationalism is this creation of white evangelicalism to fit the rapture into a systematic theology of eschatology. Right. That right, is right. what dispensationalism is. It is most predominantly identified by pre-tribulation pre-millennialism right which right, is right. exactly what the left behind series is and what jerry b jenkins and tim lahay have communicated throughout that 10 or 11 part series which i can't remember which podcast which episode it was on but you talk about escapism oh that was the last episode that was the last one that is what rapture theology is literal escapism because literal. it's like things are getting really really bad so we better so god and in his infinite wisdom and well, grace is going to Body snatch us out before the tribulation happens, which we haven't even talked about the tribulation. Um, well, we'll talk about that in, in hell and purgatory because okay, okay, I okay, think okay, those okay. go together. But yeah, we. But the concept is that Christians, those who believe rightly in Christ, will escape, literally escape, the bad stuff, God's judgment, God's judgment on the earth before Christ. Yes. 
Christ's reign. Of course, which I mean, this is also why this is uniquely an American belief. It's so crazy. because Americans are individualized, focused, yeah. and they will happily forsake the despair of a community for the sake of themselves, well, which sure. no other culture or community would ever dream of doing. Yeah. Um, and so when other cultures look at it and go, Hey, this is a human problem. This is a community problem. Americans go, no, this is my problem. And I need to find a, I need to find a solution where I can only fix my issue. Right. Um, and my issue is I don't want to endure that shit. And so I need to create a system where I don't. It's just also just so insanely elitist to me because it's like no, it's a, this is why it's white. This yeah, is why right. I keep correcting you. It's right. not an evangelical belief. Yeah, yeah it is yeah, a yeah. white evangelical belief. Yeah, because it's like we we are the only ones who believe rightly. Correct. So when things get really bad, we're going to be safe and protected. But sorry, you're gonna. Well, it's also clearly a conversation of privilege. Yeah, right. Privilege. privilege. Because people people that are actually not safe, people that actually don't know what's going to happen to them, don't have the luxury of sitting around having this fucking conversation. They're not listening to this podcast. No, they're not. They're farming fields and like making sure their kids eat. Which is why this entire thing is so stupid. It's so stupid. Because if you get to move forward and you say, oh, hey, you know, well, all I got to do is say this little prayer and get into heaven, which, by the way, do you ever see Jesus ask somebody to say a prayer to accept faith? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the No, no, no. Jesus taught you how to pray. That's I didn't ask you. He did teach us how to pray. I don't you think never see someone with Jesus say a sinner's prayer. Yeah, for sure. No, you don't. You see people practice confession. You do see, you see people, people confess. Do, you do see people do repentance. Yes, yeah, But yeah, you yeah, never yeah. see people do a sinner's prayer. What about that dude on the cross? What does he do? All he does is acknowledge Remember that Jesus must today? be the Son of God. Yeah, true. Fair. Surely this confession. man must be. He makes confession. He makes confession of who Jesus is. Or actually, he makes proclamation. Okay. And he makes confession that surely this man is better than I. That's true. And then Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. In paradise. Paradise, purgatory, and problems. What is the name of the series? Punishment. Theory? Punishment. Question mark. Uh, question. So anyways, yes, dispensationalism and white evangelicalism have created this thing that has rapture theology and premillennialism and all of these things. Nobody in the ancient world is thinking about that. None of that, none of that conversation begins until like philosophical and medieval theology around mm-hmm. like Thomas Aquinas. Like outside of that, nobody, the, the most you get out of that before then is the tale of two cities. Yeah, which that's really good. So, so here's what's interesting. It's like in the 40s, 50s, and 60s in America, you had this unique... You mean 19... Yeah, 19. Okay. Yeah, okay. sorry, sorry, sorry. 1940s, 50s, and 60s, you had this uniquely Christian um, nationalist move in in the United States. What's the rise of the Southern Baptist Convention? Southern Baptist Convention, but it's also Billy Graham, right? Like t- well, t- the, television, rise, of the right. rise of the Southern Baptist Convention. Television makes a big difference here. But it becomes well, media in general. Media, media you also, in general. You also have newspapers and sure, radio sure, sure. that begin to develop because yeah. well, you know, Billy po- Graham makes his fame in the radio first. That's true. That's a great point. And, politics, and Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday is also Sundays. in this. He's a baseball player that's kind that's of a, true. a precursor slash contemporary of Billy Graham. Could you know about Billy Sunday? Who, well, look, man, he was, a church, masa- he was a white privileged misogynist racist. Uh, sorry. All of them are. All of them all are. Of them are. But, but here's this, what yeah. I'm getting at is like it becomes so popularized that the popularized preachers, the Billies that you're mentioning, they make this a central element of their well, It becomes ministries. a fundamental faith. Yeah. A fundamental aspect of the faith. Well, to what? For what purpose? 
converting people. Yes. Well, and this is even still true in the assemblies of God. That's where I'm going. In the assemblies of God uh, denomination slash tradition, which is a charismatic Pentecostal tradition. Right. They have their doctrine of faith, their statement, their fundamentals of faith, whatever, are called the 16 fundamental fundamental truths. Fundamental and one of them is premillennialism, right. pre-tribulation right. rapture. Right. And every minister, and that's the other thing in Baptist life, there's a whole other thing, but it's about control. Dogma is about control. Power. In the assemblies of God, the denomination holds the credentials of the ministry. Right. Churches do not pay right. contributions to it like Baptists do. Right. It's a different, um, yeah. Ministers pay dues and right. it's a percent of your income. Yeah. They go and they hold your credentials. And if you and you have to sign those. You have to sign those 16 fundamental truths every year. And if you don't, you have to fill out an exception card and you go before a review board. And, so and it's it, all about control and power. Isn't it remarkable that something like that occurs with a theological development that is recent? That really doesn't have a lot well, of okay, a lot but, of scriptural backing. Here's the deal. Christian traditions are just like businesses. They go through a life cycle. Sure. In the same way that they go through a life cycle, where did the Assemblies of God begin? They began as a branch of the Methodists right. that arose out of John Wesley and Charles right. Wesley right, right there in the late mid to late 1800s. And then you have what? First wave Pentecostalism. Right. You have Azusa Street happening right. in 1906. And you have all of these things happen, and they branch off. And so, yes, you're, you're faulting them for holding so tightly to a new truth, but they are born out of the fundamental premise of that truth. But that's the deal. It's fundamentalism and a lack of questioning. Okay, but why? Why? Because it's Fear. modernity. What, all they did, all they did was take the premises of modernity that knowledge and answers could give us the answers to safety. They took those same premise, built a denomination around it, and it took us the rest of culture to get through world war ii to realize that yeah. thought of life only right. taught us to kill people better right. exactly and so we moved into post-modernity which is a, a new manifestation of romanticism right. which allowed space and freedom for subjectivity but nobody in the assemblies of god ever changed their way of doing practice well and not just the assemblies of god not no no, no this continue. is lots of right, the right. methodists lots this of is american evangelical uh, traditions it's yes. true this is also why the methodists are caught up in the thing that they're caught up in and they're Jeez. about to have three splits in two years Jeez, yeah, yeah. i know they're in a they're in a rough spot all american christianity is in a rough spot okay so uh, we're running low on time but i think the synopsis of this episode is rapture theology is trash Rapture theology is a dumpster fire. <laughs> it's trash on fire. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It Like when I was a pastor, there were people in the churches that I pastored who held so tightly to this belief that if you questioned it to any degree, even if you were just like, well, It was on par with resurrection. You were not a Christian. You were not you could Christian not be a Christian. Anymore. And so when I would ask yeah. these questions about like, well, do my clothes stay left behind? Like, you know, yeah. like let's actually yeah, yeah, yeah. wrestle with like the practicalities of how this might play out. There is literally no ability to think through those tensions. Well, because you can't ask a question. Because if you pull the thread, then you the have thing lost unravels. your salvation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it is this. And this is, this is so fundamentalism. True. I remember I was working as a consultant for a church a mega church. And we, me and the lead pastor had a conversation um, in his office. And he asked me if I believed 
in rapture theology. <laughs> and I said no. And we had this same conversation. Right, right, right. About two hours worth. I left, continue work, whatever, finish my contract. Uh, three weeks later, I'm still going to the church, right? Because I've been right. I've been working with them. Still going to the church. Three weeks later, they start a new series. Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, and it's called Heaven and Hell. Why Cullen is a heretic. And they say from the pulpit and look me dead in the eyes. Because I'm in the early service. Say from the pulpit and look me dead in the eyes. If you can't believe a yeah. rapture theology, yeah. you can't believe the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, that is wild. So you know what I did? You left. Looking right back at him. I stood up in the middle of the sermon. And walked out. Walked out. You're such a rebel. Never Cullen. went back. Never went back. Uh, because look, that's bullshit. I just refuse. I refuse to accept or have a conversation with anyone that says they are dogmatically the only right answer in any of this shit. Because no one, absolutely no one is certain about any of it. Dead people don't write books. Correct. Dead people don't write books and nobody can know. And for thousands of years, because that's the other deal. You say, look at me knowing all the billies. Here's what I know. Of all the things I know, I know church history. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I got you. I know church history. Yeah. And you know what church history taught me? Is that nobody nope. throughout any yeah. point in history has known with any level of certainty <laughs> about any of this shit any more than any of us know today. Which is why we just keep recreating it. And this is why that I refuse to accept any version of white evangelicalism that says Amen. we are the only right answer. Yeah, you're not the only right answer. And this is why rapture theology is a dumpster fire. Dumpster fire. Happy Oktoberfest, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.